Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? All right, all right, all right. I'm praying. I'm believing. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Ecclesiastes. We're in Ecclesiastes today. If you're brand new, we're going from Genesis to Revelation, and now we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and oh, I don't like it. I don't like this book. I'm going to be honest. It's one of the few books in all the Bible where you can't find God in it. It's this man named Solomon. He's writing this book, and in it is just all of this despair and complaining. He's having this philosophical approach of, why am I even alive? Everything is meaningless. It's all empty. Everything under the sun. I get up. And just, life means nothing. And so at first, I just, it was bothering me. I was like, Lord, how am I going to preach this 12-chapter book? Solomon is just a, literally just a pill, you know? He's just, he's just a downer, God. Like, like, what am I supposed to do with this guy? And, and really, I think the picture of Ecclesiastes, if I could just show you, is Ecclesiastes has this huge hole in it, and the hole that, is mis- uh, that, that, that isn't filled is Jesus. And the reason why Solomon is so frustrated, because he says, under the sun, 29 times in it, is because he keeps saying, under the sun, it's meaningless. Under the sun, under the sun. Thank you, Jesus, that you are above the sun and you came to earth fully as man, fully God, to fill the hole that Solomon complained about for 12 chapters. So if you're in the house today and you just feel kind of in a rut and you feel kind of empty, today's message is for you. If you feel everything's great, you still need some more, Jesus, okay? Um, Now, I want to give you some context to this book because we're going to go through the whole book. Is Solomon is going to answer one of the three big questions we all want to know the answer to. One of those questions would be, where do I come from? The book of Genesis answers that. We come from God in the image of God, the eternal God. We're eternal beings. That's why uh, we feel like we're supposed to live forever is because God's the eternal being. We were created in his image. And so therefore, that's why death does not feel natural to us. Death was not intended. But then mankind sinned, Adam and Eve, and brought death into this world. And now Jesus is redeeming what mankind brought in this world. And then after that, that question, where do I come from? The second question we ask is, why am I alive? Why am I here? And the third big question a lot of people want to know is, where do I go when I leave? Revelation answers that question. Uh, if you're a believer, you go to heaven. If you don't know the Lord, you go to hell. That's literally what Revelation says. And, but in Ecclesiastes, the question that is proposed is, between where I came from and when I'm done, why am I even here? What am I supposed to do? It's amazing to me that that question, we don't ask that question a lot. If I told you to go stand outside for two hours, within 10 minutes, you would ask me this, why? What's going to happen? Why would I give two hours of my life to just standing here? But the reality is, is that we get born in this world and we start getting the, uh, the, the hamster wheel and just the cog of life. And we don't stop enough to go, why am I living this way? Why am I chasing these things? And why am I settling for these things? And the book of Ecclesiastes says, stop. Ask this question. It will change your life. Ask why you got breath in your lungs. Ask why you're alive and see what happens. And so that really is what Solomon's trying to pose. Um, and uh, if I'm being honest, the book reads like a philosophy book written, uh, taught by a philosophy teacher. You're not going to see a lot of answers in it. You're just going to see a lot of questions. Not till uh, chapter 12 do you actually see an answer. And uh, Solomon says, I come to this conclusion, fear God. Next question. So I'm like, okay, thanks, Solomon. Thanks for the great book. Um, but what he does do, and I, I just want to hear this real quick, is a lot of us um, have never had a teacher like that just to sit down with you and say, why do you feel that way? Why, why do you think life is like this? Do you think you maybe played a part in it? Do you think you're missing something? Man, one of the greatest things somebody can do is just ask you a few questions about your life. 
because great questions lead to great answers. And so, so he does that. The Greeks always take credit for philosophy. You know, the Greeks had Socrates. Well, just give you a heads up, philosophy was already uh, before the Greeks because the Hebrews had a man named Solomon, okay? And so this is a philosophical book. Um, if I could break down the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it starts out philosophical, then it goes to Proverbs, and then it finishes with a solution. Can I read you a couple of just my favorite Proverbs that are in the book of Ecclesiastes? Cool, I'm going to do it. Okay, sweet. Uh, these are very famous ones. A lot of you think this is a wedding verse. It's not a wedding verse, okay? Uh, it's Ecclesiastes 4. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Right there is a great just wisdom proverb. He's saying, hey, I lived a lot of years. I'm the wisest man, second to Jesus. Don't do life alone. So if you just came for that, you're welcome. Get into a small group. Okay, next one. Ecclesiastes 5. Um, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. If you've been chasing money, thinking that money is going to fix your life, you're welcome. No longer you would believe that. Okay, Ecclesiastes 7. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death. When's the last time you thought about death? We, want, we, don't, want, we don't want to think about those stuff. While a, fool, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. One of the commentaries that I read said something like this, all sunshine makes a desert. All good makes a shallow life. And what Solomon is saying is, don't forsake the valleys. Don't forsake the hard times and sorrow. Don't not think of sorrow and bad things because that's actually what brings great life into your life. Do not just try to have all sunny days and try to have everything perfect because the reality is if you've ever seen the Kardashian show, if you're going to live for, uh, sorry, shout out. I don't know why I shot fire at the Kardashians, but it is a pretty shallow life. Okay. Okay. Anyways, um, I'm going to go past that. I don't know why I brought the Kardashians in. Um, hey oh. Um, well, I will say this. I did think about uh, the Kardashians a lot because the, the word vain is uh, in the uh, book of Ecclesiastes 40 times. And I was like, what's the most vain thing right now like, that just represents America as a mascot? It's the Kardashians and the Kardashian show. Not trying to hate on them. I'm just saying like, it's amazing what's so famous in our world and what they're chasing after. Okay, anyways. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8.15. So I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along the way with all hard work uh, gives them under the sun. Something we say on our staff all the time is, we're not having fun, we're not doing it right. It should be fun. I'm excited to come to church. I'm excited to love people, excited to serve people, excited to preach the word. If you're going to live one life, you might as well have some fun while you live this life. And Ecclesiastes 10 is my last one, and then we'll get into the message. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. I love how Abraham Lincoln said it. If I only had one hour to chop down a tree, I would spend the first 45 minutes sharpening my axe. So many of you, you're just going out there and just swinging the axe into life. Instead of sitting down and having somebody sharpen for you, and then you actually go cut down the things you want to cut down. Maybe why you can't get ground the way you're getting ground is because you're not sharpening the right things in your life. A dull axe is not going to uh, get ground in your life. Come on now. So uh, Song of Songs is uh, another book that Solomon wrote. We're going to write about that. It's all about love and, 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 and beauty and sex. I mean, literally, it is an intense book. Don't let your kids read it. Um, um, Song of Songs is written by uh, Solomon when he's young and passionate. And naive. And then Proverbs written throughout his life. But then Ecclesiastes is written at the end of his life. This man has some years on him now. He's long in the tooth. He's seen the world. 
And so there's just something about learning from somebody who's lived their life. And last but not least, if you're like, I'm going to go read Ecclesiastes today. Stop. Pause. This book should not be read on its own if you've never read the Bible before. Like, if you're in a recommended book, read the Gospel of John, okay? Uh, If the first book you read is Ecclesiastes, it's like learning how to swim and jumping off a cliff into the deep end and trying to, like, figure it out. You are going to drown, okay? Um, You need to understand hermeneutics, and you need to understand how to exegete Scripture if you're going to read the book of Ecclesiastes. And exegeting Scripture is just a word they teach in Bible college. All it means is that... uh, the content and the context of scripture, you got to cross the river of what they're trying to communicate and how to apply it to your life today. A lot of believers, I suggest scripture. They just read a verse and just apply it straight away, but they don't understand why it was said or why God's trying to say it, what other scriptures complement it and help you interpret it. And so I did all the exegeting for you. All right. Are you, are you thankful? All right. Barry has, I'm going to pray. Come on now. Lord, we love you. Oh, we love you so much. Jesus, Lord, as we look in your word, And we just see this big problem of emptiness. Oh, we're so thankful that that big emptiness is not bigger than our big God. So God, we ask that you'd fill holes today, that you'd fill gaps today. God, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and your words soar. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. And everybody said? Only two questions today. It's going to be a shorter one. And everybody said, ha ha. Um, Here's the deal. (laughs) Two questions is this, is what's the big problem? We're going to go through there because that's all about Solomon talking about the big problem. But then what I love about the Bible is the Bible gives us what's the big solution. It doesn't take a gifted person to point out problems. Everybody's got that gift. But it, gives, it, it takes a very gifted person. It takes a very mature person to point out the solution to the problems. So let's start with the, what's the big problem. Let's start with Ecclesiastes 1.1. Are you ready? Here we go. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. What's the problem? Here it is. Everything is meaningless. Everything, Solomon? Double down. Completely meaningless. It's like he knew we were going to say it. The way this is done is like he wants to say it and conversate with you almost. Like everything's meaningless. Well, everything, yeah, everything. It's completely meaningless. Let's keep going. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Stop. The first problem that Solomon points out in the book of Ecclesiastes is we have an emptiness problem. When he says everything is meaningless, completely meaningless, that Hebrew word can be translated three ways. If you have a different translation, it's going to say meaningless, vain, or empty. Forty times in this book, he will talk about how it's empty, vain, or meaningless. There is an emptiness problem. I don't know about you, but when I go to the grocery store and I shop on an empty stomach, I'm dangerous. Anybody else dangerous? You give me a card on an empty stomach, I'm like, cheese whiz. I remember that. Throw it in. You know what I'm saying? You know? Oh, like kid. Oh, you know what? I haven't had cereal in 10 years, but I want cereal for dinner. Give me those corn puffs. Give me those cinnamon toast crunch. Give me some milk. I'm lactose intolerant, by the way. Give me that gallon of milk, you know? And so I come back and I have cereal for dinner. I'm like, oh, what have I done to my body? You know, um, I'm getting Pop-Tarts, things I've never had. But when you're hungry in the, the supermarket, you just kind of, this emptiness just drives you. You know, like, you're like pastry shop. You know, you're like, like oh my gosh, Pop-Tarts. I mean, you're just walking all over because you got an empty tummy. Empty stomachs get you in trouble. Get you in trouble on DoorDash. 
Oh, there is a cost when you order on DoorDash with an empty stomach. I mean, I, uh, I'll get Taco Bell, but then I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of craving some habit fries right now with some ranch too. And Rich like, did you order three things for dinner? I had an empty stomach. I wasn't thinking correctly. I'm sorry. At a restaurant, I'm famous for ordering two meals when I have an empty stomach because I can't decide. And I'm like, well, variety, you know? It's Ecclesiastes. If you're going to live life, have fun. That's just on an empty stomach the way I live. Now, the problem Solomon points out, though, is this. Y'all got an empty soul. You got an empty soul. And you are dangerous with an empty soul. What you shot for with an empty soul. You date people you would never I don't, should, I should never eat cheese Whiz. It's not even cheese. <laughs> but for some reason, with my empty stomach, I'm making a cheese Whiz decision. And to be honest, it is delicious. It's very good. Get the rye cracker, just some Ritz crackers. Oh my, oh my goodness. Okay, anyways. But when you have an empty soul, the people you'll date... The affirmation that will actually feel like it's filling your soul. Oh, the career you'll choose, the hours you'll work, the the presentation you'll dress up in. Oh, the effort you give to things because this thing is empty. And Solomon says, you empty. It's all empty under the sun. You're empty and this is a big problem. Nothing you see satisfies you. Everything you get, you're just, you're born into discontent. I found a funny story I wanted to read you. Uh, that I thought kind of encapsulated uh, this discontentness. And it was a story about uh, a New York department store now selling husbands. And the way it worked is it was six floors high. And by each floor, the value of the husband went up. And so the first, yeah, trust me, I know I'm going to offend some people, but it's cool. Okay, so here we go. First floor, it was this. The, the woman walks in and she sees it and she says, first floor, these men have jobs. It's like, ooh, intriguing. Okay. <laughs> Now, every floor you go up, though, there's more to, more to be offered. She's like, you know what? I'm going to check out floor two. Peace out, fellas. Floor two, these men have jobs and love kids. Intriguing. Okay, okay. She's like, you know what? But I'm going to go to the third floor. See you guys later. Third floor, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Check, check, check. Okay? She goes, wow. But she still felt urged. I need to go to that fourth floor. She goes to the fourth floor. These men have jobs, love kids, and are drop-dead gorgeous. And help with the housework. Everybody say revival. Okay. But for some reason, she's like, you know what? I want to check out the fifth floor. So she goes to the fifth floor. Fifth floor. These men have jobs, love kids, and are drop-dead gorgeous. Help with housework and have a strong romantic streak. Woo! Now, I mean, old lady said amen? Amen. Okay. But for some reason, she just wanted to go to the sixth floor. You think maybe the fifth floor. She said, okay, I'm good. I'm good. But she goes to 6 floor, and here's what happened to 6 floor. 6 floor had no men on the floor, just a sign that said this. You are a visitor 31,456,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. Thank you for shopping at the shop. Shots fired. I could have done the same thing for men, okay? But I'm a guy, so I did it this way. All right. And what Solomon's trying to say is you are never going to be satisfied under the sun. There aren't enough floors on this world. There aren't enough things to stuff into your heart. And I, I mean, I've read this quote to you, but I just feel like I, I can't read it enough because this is such a powerful quote. Uh, C.S. Lewis, 
uh, simply says this. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, there's no floor. There's nothing in the department store that can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Can I give you two quotes? Because I always read Charles Spurgeon every week because he's one of my mentors from afar. Emptiness is written upon him. He's dead. He's not alive. So I don't want to be like, yo, Charles Spurgeon, he's my homie. Like, oh, he is. And then you Google him, you're like, he died. Anyways, um, I read every week because I I just think the way he preached and how much he loved prayer and loved the Lord is just inspiring. So uh, you're always going to get Spurgeon quotes a lot from me. Uh, Here's what he said. Emptiness is written upon everything till the heart comes to its Savior and Lord. Emptiness is written on everything. Aren't you glad that when Jesus came, he just punches Solomon's Ecclesiastes in the face? John 10, 10, Jesus comes and I'll tell you what, Solomon's observation is spot on, but his conclusion is way off. Because he doesn't have the whole Bible like we do. He doesn't know about this Jesus the way we do. And so in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All these things that are meaningless, all these things that are empty in your life, well, I've come to fill them up. All those things that had empty on them, well, I'm going to make them better than you ever thought they could be made. So, so he shows this promise to us, and I wish that could be just the, the only problem. So the first problem is that we're empty. Now let's, let's kind of double down on this thought. Ecclesiastes 1.14, let's keep reading. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. He is saying, the world is cursed. It's never going to be good. And can I, I, I wanted to say this from the top of my head, but I, I wrote it down because I want to make sure I said it right. Solomon is explaining the fact that we and our world are cursed. Something has gone terribly wrong. And no matter how many organizations we start, elections we hold, wars we fight, dollars we spend, attempts we make, and protests we hold, medications we prescribe, bad guys we lock up, or tears we shed, the world is hopelessly crooked and cursed. And this bothers us. We just had an election. This party will straighten things out. No, this party will straighten things out. No, this woke movement will straighten things out. And the reality is, is crooked cannot make crooked things straight. You're crooked, I'm crooked, the world's crooked. And Solomon's saying, I, I don't see anything straight. I, 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 uh, I was never a Boy Scout, um, but I uh, watched the show alone. Anybody watch the show alone? Yeah. Crazy show. Come on, that's my biggest cheer so far today, alone. I like that. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> and alone, you learn a lot of things in alone. You learn that there are survival um, tools that you need to survive. You need to learn how to make fire. You know, you need to learn how to have shelter. There's all these ones. But the reason why the person always wins alone, out of all those tools, is they have another tool that the other ones don't have. And that tool is hope. And when you are going to be thrown into this world, Solomon is saying there is no hope. Everything's crooked. There's not one straight person. All of them got kind of a bad bent. All of them are all... How does an empty person fill up another empty person? It's impossible. How does one lost person lead another lost person to where they're supposed to go? It's impossible. And again, Solomon has shown us a big hole. Thank you, Jesus, that the only one that was upright, the only one that was straight, the only one that was good, the only one that was fulfilling 
came to earth fully man and fully God. And I just, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, Solomon, if you would have met Jesus, would have said, whoa, everything was crooked, but I met one who isn't. Everything is cursed, but I met one who is blessed. Everything is empty, but now I've met one who is full. And so he says, the problem is the world is empty. And he puts it to the test. Solomon, being this brilliant mind, decides to be a researcher, but also the lab rat. He decides to be the scientist, but he also decides to be the subject. So what he decides to do is he decides to put this to the test. It's really life meaningless. I'm going to try everything, and I'm going to make myself the lab rat, and I'm going to see if this world can satisfy me. I want to read you this real quick. Because even as I tell you all these things, you're like, Tyler, I still think the world can satisfy me. So I just want to read you this, and then we're going to, we're going to go into the solution, and it's going to be a shorter one today. You're welcome. Um, it says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for good things in life. But I found that too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of uh, fruits and trees. I built reservoirs to collect the waters to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I brought slaves. Uh, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born in my household. I also loaned large herds and flocks, more than any other king who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired one, uh, wonderful singers, both men and women, and many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Basically, here's the deal. He had over 300 wives, 700 concubines. He had the greatest singers. It'd be like he could have a meal with a different spouse, breakfast, lunch, and dinner all year, and not have the same meal with the same woman. This guy, I mean, talk about like just anything he wanted, he had. He would have dinner and have Adele sing while he was eating. He would have dinner and say, bring me Justin Timberlake. He'd have dinner. Okay, today I want Harry Styles to sing tonight. He had every singer he wanted to sing while he was eating. He had every pleasure this world had to offer. And here's what he says at the end of it. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. Any supermodel, any girl that got his eye, any hobby he wanted, he said, I grabbed it and I took it because I was the most powerful man on the earth, and nothing could be held back from me. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I came to hate all my work here on earth, for I must leave it to others, everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my success will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything. I've gained my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. If you know anything about Solomon, he built the greatest empire handed off to his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is a foolish man. And within years, exploded what his dad had built. Exploded with arrogance. Solomon's like, I built a great thing. Who knows how it's going to last? It doesn't last. So I gave in to despair. He said, I gave in to despair. I gave in to depression. Questioned the value of all my hard work in this world. Stop. So, I got brought... I bring Starbucks for everybody, sorry. Um, and I was going to put this all around the stage and like run for them, but I'm just going to keep them up here so for the sake of time and not looking like an idiot. Um, <laughs> I was going to run for Easter eggs. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. 
Easter egg down. Thanks, man. So there's this verse in Ecclesiastes that says, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. And what I want to show you real quick is that history and our life, it's not like a river, it's more like a cul-de-sac. And Solomon had this experiment, and he was the, the lab rat, and the world was his facility, and he said, I tested everything, and still there's only despair and depression. But then we come, and we try to create new experiments, thinking that we could change it, but really it's a cul-de-sac. I mean, even when America was birthed, we were birthed with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is our experiment in America. Our experiment in America is let anybody pursue anything they want. May nothing be held back from you, just like Solomon. And see how you feel at the end of it. So life is like this. It'd be like running around, and the first thing you find is people. You're like, okay, I found people. But when you're around people, you open up that egg, and it's empty. And what Solomon is saying is life is like an Easter egg hunt, but a cruel one, a mean one. Can you imagine having all these kids like, all right, kids, stand here. We're going to drop thousands of Easter eggs. And then they run for these, those eggs, and then they get, come back with their bag, and they keep opening them. They're like, where's the candy? And all of us are over here, ha, 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 no candy for you, kid. That's a cruel Easter egg game, yes? Well, that's what the world does to all of us. All right, ready? Go. And you run, and you, you get, get people, and you open up, and you still feel empty. And you're like, okay, okay, I'm going to run for another Easter egg. Okay, career. Okay, I'm going to run for career. And then you get career, and then for a handful of years, you're like, okay, I'm eventually it's going to fill me up. Once I get that promotion or that, I know it's going to fill me up. And then you open up, and you're like, nope, still empty. Okay, okay, okay. What else I got here? Okay, and then you go around the cold stack, and like, what else I got? Ooh, fame. Maybe, maybe if I, maybe if I uh, become influential on the TikTok, okay, um, or, the, or the Instagram or, or the YouTube, um, and then you get fame, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, there's, it's still empty. Okay, 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 okay. Hold on a second. But one of these eggs has got to have something in it, okay? And so, so okay, how about this one? Ooh, pleasure, pleasure, okay. Okay, maybe, maybe all that hard work, but maybe it's just, just pleasure will satisfy my soul. And so, so then you finally find pleasure, and whatever that is for you, food or hobbies or whatever, and like, no, I still feel empty. After, after I have pleasure. And then, how about marriage? Because, I mean, that's, that's something that every Christian thinks is going to fulfill. Every Christian, like, when I, when I meet with people, one of the biggest things, like, I'm just trying to find that one, Pastor Tyler. And I'm like, you're not going to find that one. You're going to find somebody God gives you to help sharpen you, love you, and bless you. I love marriage. But I married Rachel knowing that she was not going to be the thing that fulfilled me. But if you did, what happens is, is you open up and you're like, oh, this is empty too. And so, everybody encouraged right now? Okay, good. That's how I felt studying all week, okay? I was not enjoying it. And just, how about just stuff? How about you just go around the cul-de-sac of life and just acquire stuff and more stuff and more stuff? And you're like, if I just get more stuff, but when you open up stuff, another cruel trick by the world, you're still empty. And Solomon shows us this big problem. And you're like, Tyler, I don't know if we have that problem in America. Let me just give you some studies. <laughs> Let me give you some facts. That this experiment that was given to us a few hundred years ago to choose life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are 190 countries. And at the end of this experiment, at least 200 years in, let me put it that way, we are the number two depressed country in all of the world. Only one beats us, and it's Ukraine. And they're being taken over right now by Russia. I get why they're depressed right now. 
But us, it's, it's like the story of Solomon. Everything you'd want is at your fingertips. And when it's there and you don't have it and you get it and you're, this is going to get dangerous. Uh, when this happens, there's something happens in your soul and you just get depressed. So what are the top two least depressed countries? This is on the worldatlas.com, another one of those nerd websites for you, okay? Um, uh, top 10 countries with the lowest depression rate. First one is the Solomon Islands. Second country that's least depressed is Papua New Guinea. I just Googled, like, this is how, when I'm doing my stuff, I wonder what this says about where are we at? Are we in despair in America? I had no idea. And then article comes after article. In New York Times, it says one in 10 of every American is, is in despair or depression. One in every 10. So why in the world, Papua New Guinea and Solomon Islands, where we're the wealthiest country in all of the world, we are the Solomon country of, of the world. Why are we in despair? And I was like, I wonder if Papua New Guinea or the Solomon Islands, I wonder if there's any Christians there. And then I Googled and I started reading about the Solomon Islands. 92% of that nation is Christian. You ready for Papua New Guinea? 96%. Do you see a correlation here? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, that life isn't about acquiring things, but it's about who you do life with. And there's a very important person. His name is Jesus. I wrote this down. Without God, even the greatest things fail to satisfy us. But with God, even the simplest things fully satisfy us. Let me, let me read you another thing. The secret of life is, is that it's often less about who you, uh, what you have and where you go and more about whom you're with. I am a quality time person. If I'm going to Target, I need Rachel in the car with me. If I'm going to grocery, it doesn't matter. I just want to, I just want to be Rachel. Like my parents are in town, Rachel and I hang out a lot. So like even on Thursday night, she's going to practice. Like I'll go to practice with you. Like I just wanted to ride in the car with her. I didn't want to be by myself. Like, like life is all about who you do life with. And when Jesus isn't in the car, when Jesus isn't when you're running the errands, when Jesus isn't with you when you're raising your kids, and Jesus isn't with you when you're building your marriage, and when Jesus isn't with you when you're building your career, because all these things are good things, but if Jesus is void of them, eventually you'll start feeling empty, and you'll question yourself, or you question your spouse, or you question, there's something wrong with me. No, there's nothing wrong with you. You're missing something, and his name is Jesus. Now, let's go to Solomon's conclusion. Ecclesiastes 12. So Solomon, you know, is an absolute downer for, you know, 10 chapters. And he finally comes to this conclusion in Ecclesiastes 12, and he says this. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, the moon, the stars is dim to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. That's what the whole story. So it's basically, he says, remember him, remember, remember him. And, there's, and he goes, before you... Become unsatisfied. Remember him before you taste uh, things you shouldn't taste. He's like, remember him, remember, remember him. Goes on to say, at the very end, I'm going to fast forward to uh, verse 13. That's the whole story. So here's now my final conclusion, he says. Fear God. Everybody say, fear God. Fear and God. obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Stop. He leaves us with three things. Remember God, fear God, obey God. And I want to leave you with these three things today, too. And we'll, I will conclude with something. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. But the remember God part, I had a commentary person say this, and I loved it. One commentator likens this to the difference between cans of peaches and can openers. Whereby everyone gets a can of peaches, but only God has the opener. And we must come to him to get the can open so we can enjoy the peaches. And what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes, well, hey, remember God. All those things, your marriage, your joy, the things you want. You got all the cans, but he's the only one that can actually open it to fulfillment. Wow. So remember God's the opener of all the cans in your life. 
And when you try to open cans on your own, when you try to open things on your own, doors on your own, you're going to be dissatisfied and frustrated and you'll become weary, it says. So remember God as a can opener. Next one is fear God. And the fear of God is so interesting. Throughout scripture, you'll see it over and over again. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But so many people have this weird idea of what fearing God is. Fearing God is not like, ooh, I don't want to make him mad. One of the best definitions I heard uh, an author say it this way. The fear of God is not being afraid of him. It is being afraid of being away from him. That's the fear of God. When I'm away from you, I get empty again. When I'm away from you, I make bad decisions. When I'm away from you, I get in despair again. When I'm away from you, I start to please people and it's a trap. But when I fear you, I ask questions like this. What would please you, God? What would you want for my life, God? When I fear you, I ask you questions. Does this match with the standard of my God? But when you fear people, you say, well, may, what do they think? What should I do? Because the reality is, is every generation think the other generation got it wrong. I mean, go throughout the last hundred years. The, the hippie movement thought the other generation got it wrong, so they started the hippie movement. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they thought that would fix everything. But they found out all led to was disease and separation and dead rock and roll artists. And so what happened out of that? The Jesus movement. Because people are going to blame the... So this generation is blaming the other generation. And can I tell you real quick, if you think culture is making the right decisions, the next generation is going to blow you up for all these bad ideas. You thought that's what we should do with kids in this season? 30 years from now, I guarantee you, culture will say, what were you thinking? Because culture after culture blames the other one. But the ones that fear God don't worry about what culture says. It gives people the right thing. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you how important fear is. If you don't know who Jim Baker is, Jim Baker was this famous televangelist. And there was even a movie called Tammy Faye Baker. I think it's called Tammy Faye. That Jessica Chastain uh, started it. And it was basically about her life and them. And he was this guy who started out and he loved God. And they became televangelists. And somewhere along the way, he became a cheater, an adulterer. I mean, frauder, you name it. All these kind of things. And just so you know, Solomon's story is not a story of, of a great man living a great life. He was wise, but he was very disobedient. Solomon's story is more like the prodigal son. He was an adulterer, an idolater, and even a murderer. And Solomon, at the end of his life, is saying, you know what I missed out on? Why I was an adulterer, why I was an um, a, a idolater, and why I was a murderer? It's, I didn't really have the fear of the Lord. He's like, this is my conclusion. You need to have the fear of the Lord in your life. Jim Baker He's still alive today, and John Bevere wrote this book called Fear the Lord. He asked Jim Baker this question. When did you stop loving God, Jim? In your story, what happened? When did you stop loving God? And Jim Baker said to John Bevere, said, I didn't stop loving God. I stopped fearing God. And because I stopped fearing Him, I started stealing and listening to my flesh, and I wasn't afraid of being away from Him anymore. I wasn't afraid of of, of what, he would, what would happen if I went down this path because he told me if I go down this path, it's death. But I just thought, oh, death can't be that bad because I'm already doing death things and it's not killing me that much. But when you have the fear of the Lord, you don't want to take a step away from him. So I, I love Solomon's answers, to be honest. I love that he says, remember God. I love that he says to fear God. And um, I love that he says, obey God. But again, this book is lacking because it's missing out on the most important thing, Jesus. He's missing out on the biggest answer. And the Old Testament, to be honest, every Old Testament book is like this meal that's missing the main ingredient to an extent. The book of Exodus is awesome. But would you believe and agree that it would be better if Jesus was in it instead of Moses? You know, Genesis is a good book, but imagine if Jesus was like in there instead the whole time, you know, and so, far, so on and so forth. Well, 
the book Ecclesiastes, it's missing the main ingredient. He's saying, fear God, remember God and obey God. But the thing that he's missing is encounter God, like encounter him, like enjoy God. And once you encounter and enjoy God, the fear of God and the love of God, you wouldn't want to be away from that God. It just changes your life. And I was going to read you Isaiah 6, but I'm just going to finish with this thought instead. Isaiah 6 is this moment in the uh, Bible, and it's amazing when somebody meets God. Every person has their own story of what it's like and what happens in their life, but Isaiah has this moment, and he sees God, and he's high and lifted up on the throne, and the seraphim are singing, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, and basically shakes his life. It talks about his glory filled the temple with, like everything was filled with his glory. That word glory in the Hebrew means weight. And really what is happening is Isaiah is having a God quake and a, and a self quake where this water, if I put this egg on this water, it would float. It wouldn't affect the water. But if I took something heavier than the water, it would go in the water and displace the water. And what the word glory means is it's heavier than anything else this world could offer. It will displace anything and everything to be in the right spot it's supposed to be in. And so Isaiah has this moment and the glory comes to God because a lot of you right now, God's a concept to you. And concepts are these things where you're like, you know God, you're good and I'm gonna use you to accomplish my agenda. But when God goes from a concept and his glory starts to shake your life, he becomes the agenda, not the one that fulfills your agenda. And, and my prayer today is that, and we were praying for this on Tuesday for you, pre-service prayer. I was praying on Thursday night in this room for you, that some of you would have a God quake today. That this thing that's empty and you filled it with all these Easter eggs, that his glory would come in and just shake it all up. And it would fill what it's supposed to fill and it would do what it's supposed to do. It would redeem things only could redeem. And the only way that happens is you encounter the living God. Like, well, I don't have an Isaiah moment where I'm like, see the throne and I'm trembling. Don't worry, Jeremiah, he was was the one who saw him and started trembling. He was trembling and God said, stop trembling. And what I mean by that is every experience is going to be different. But here's when you know know that you know that you actually found God. At the end of this moment, God says, Isaiah, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. What you'll realize when you had a real God quake is when you realize that all you want to do with your life is be around the Lord and live for the Lord and bring God things to people. And I'm praying that that's happening in your life. And if not, pray for it. Your availability to God will be the greatest sign of you experiencing, why would I ever want to walk away from it? It doesn't mean you sit in your room and pray all day. That means you bring God everywhere you go. That means you bring God to your career, to your marriage, to your friends, to your, your passion things you're building. Just bring them everywhere. Say, God, would you use me? Can I bring your glory? Would, can I be the most profitable person ever to do this? And as I do it, Lord, I'm going to give you all the glory. I'm going to let people wide breathe on. I'm going to let people why I know I have the joy. God, would you just come with me on the journey? That's going to show something different in your life. Will you bow your heads? I don't know if you're first time or second time in church. But if you never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. If you never said yes to Jesus, I want to ask you a simple question today with every head bowed and eye closed. On the count of three, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to catch my, catch my eye. Yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to cursing. Yes to fulfillment and goodbye to emptiness. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand and raise it high. One, two, three. Raise it up. I want to see you. I want to pray for you. That's a great decision. I see you. God bless you. Anybody else want to say yes, Jesus? I see you. God bless you. Come on. Please stand up. We're going to pray. I love the story of 
Jesus. And the end of it is always fascinating because it ties into all these Old Testament books. Jesus is literally in the garden. He says, woe to me. You know, I don't want to do this. He's starting to do blood. He's about to pour his life out. And the cross, you go, man, like how can God fill us up? How did that become possible? Well, the only way it became possible was Jesus had to empty himself out. Jesus had to taste meaningless so you could taste meaning. So on the cross, it wasn't just something he did. He tasted the things that was destroying us so it never had to destroy you anymore. So I just want to pray a prayer for us today that we would actually inherit what God died for. That we would actually walk into what God wanted to give us. So you guys repeat after me. It's a sinner's prayer, but I'm going to, I'm going to add a little bit to it today. Ready? Jesus, come into my life today. I declare I'm a sinner and you are my savior. Today, I ask, would you displace some things? Bring your glory. Oh, fulfill my life. I say goodbye to emptiness and I say hello to purpose. And everybody said, love you, Mission Church. Go change the world. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.